if you're seeking, stay curious. That's such a huge gift that you have to be curious, to be the seeker. So can you just look at like what's right in front of you? Can you take one little step today that's moving you a little bit closer to what you think your vision might be? And can you also give yourself permission to pivot and shift and to be messy and to be a human and to fail? Hello, welcome to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and this is your destination for all things growth. Hello, welcome back to Active Ingredient. I hope that you are feeling refreshed, grounded, and ready for a new week. And if you are not feeling any of those things, that is also absolutely okay. We just breathe through it and do the best that we can. So before I get into this week's episode, I just had to talk about this event that we did in Miami for the first ever Active Ingredient event that happened a little over a week ago. And it was truly a highlight for me. When I say that I was so overjoyed and just so present, like while we were, we did a yoga class and then got coffee after all, I was in the yoga class. I kept having moments of just being like, Sophie, take it in, like, take it in. Like this is happening right now. You are literally with the people that you had a hunch that you would love to be around, AKA anyone who listens to Active Ingredient. And we're all together in a room, flowing together, sweating, just all here that are like-minded and are excited to be with each other. And I just, I kept having moments within the yoga class of just like really taking it in. And I am just in awe of how it turned out. It was better than I could have ever even hoped. So if you were there, thank you so much for showing up. I am definitely going to be doing more of them down the road because it was just so... I feel like everyone left just feeling really fulfilled, seen, like there was a lot of connection happening and like connection within within other people that came. I literally am now friends with all these people that just came here, like exchange numbers and like, hopefully we're going to be continuing to hang out. And I'm going to do a whole solo episode on the importance of spending time with people that make you feel energized, people that are motivating and just the type of people that you want to be around. And it's really hard to make friends as an adult. It's just not something that like the way in which our lives are set, it makes it easy for that. You know, when you go to school or you're in college, it's a lot easier, but when you're older, it's definitely harder. So it just reminded me like, okay, great. I'm just going to take the reins and just do another event like this and just continue to bring these like-minded people into a room together and just watch it unfold because we can't just wait around for these things to happen. Like we just got to do it, you know? So I'm so grateful for every single person that came. And at the event, we had uh, gift bags. I made active ingredient tote bags and hats. I decided to do a little giveaway for anyone who couldn't come to the event. We're doing a giveaway. And basically in order to get this tote and hat, all you have to do to enter is give the podcast five stars wherever you listen, Apple, Spotify, wherever. Take a screenshot of your review, send it to the active ingredient Instagram account. It's at active ingredient and follow the account. And then by the end of this week, I'll pick a winner and send over your tote and hat. So with all that, this week's episode is a part two with licensed marriage and family therapist, career clarity coach, and yoga teacher, Charlotte Haig on all things therapy, what it is, what to expect from it, common questions and hesitations, how to find the right therapist, the role that labels play on how we operate, body wisdom, and so much more. So with that, Charlotte, welcome for part two. 
How long would you say, and I know that the answer is going to say, depending on circumstance, if it was big T, little T trauma, et cetera. But like, if there's any sort of insight that we can give people on like process timeline, like when you can start actually like feeling a little bit of like an alleviation. Healing is not a linear process, right? We all want it to be like this, but really it's up and down. We go two steps back. We go one step forward. In terms of like exact amount of time, I mean, I I think that for all of us, healing is probably a lifelong practice in terms of if you have like acute symptoms where you're coming in and it's just really hard for you to even like function day to day, or you're just feeling like really, really overwhelmed or hopeless. My hope is always to get you sometimes even the first session. It can be kind of some relief. And every time that you go to therapy, it's like you remove a rock and another Mm -hmm. one. And another one, and then a big one, and then a brick. And then, you know, like mm-hmm. that's kind of what you feel every time. But even that first time I went with like such charged energy, and then it was just a question was asked, and then a rock came out. Totally. Yeah. So it can start as early as then. When I start working with clients, one of the activities I have them do is like sit, close your eyes, visualize how your life would look different if therapy had been effective. And we always start with this 90 days. Just say, what would look different for you in 90 days? And we talk about like, what outcomes would be feel like realistic, like that their brain and their subconscious can really get behind. Like this might be possible for me in 90 days because that helps them already start to visualize change. So I typically like, I'll check in throughout the way, but I've seen clients that have come to me for a couple months and they had just a few things they wanted to sort of figure out and then they feel better. And then we sort of graduate them. I've had clients that I've been working with for years who are getting quote unquote better. They're figuring themselves out more. They're they're Coming getting, um, yes. But they're still, they're on that journey and they love the journey, even though it's That's hard. The thing. So they That's don't want to. I was trying leave. to say with those 10 years is that I have loved the journey. Mm-hmm. Like the journey mm-hmm. is it for me. And like clearly it's become a passion where I like, I actually like really enjoy talking about these things because it's being human. Like that's what it mm-hmm. is. And something I also wanted to just call out that I just remembered as you were saying that that time that I came in with the list was actually not the first time I had been in therapy. It's the first time that I like committed to the practice of it, of doing it constantly. But actually Uh the first time that I went to therapy was when I was in my super heightened level of anxiety, having OCD type thoughts without Mm -hmm. the compulsions, but really like ruminating thoughts Mm -hmm. in college. And I've done a whole solo episode on this, but that is what catapulted my whole journey is because I hit that really, really dark rock bottom of anxiety that Mm. at the time, this was when I was a junior in college, no one talked about therapy. I was so ashamed Mm. that I even had to see a therapist on FaceTime. And I said this in my solo, but like, she literally just told me, she, she read from, I think, what's it called? The the book that has like all the diagnoses. She literally (laughs) was like, oh, you have like this, this, and this, like you're experiencing these symptoms of this. Uh And I was like, it's so common that it's written in a textbook. Uh-huh. That first level of just like, oh my God, I'm being seen. And not only am I being seen by someone who like is a safe space, but like, it's so common that it's written in a textbook. What? And then the other side to that coin that I also want to say, and I'm curious on what your thoughts are on this. I am so not subscribed to that narrative of like, if you've had an eating disorder, you have it for your whole life. If you have OCD, you have it for your whole mm-hmm. life. If you have... In my opinion, that is complete bullshit and it's not true. And that is not my experience at all. Like at Mm -hmm. all, at all. You can have tendencies for certain things, but the labeling, and I feel like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is like in every country, but I do feel like in the US, it's like very like 
people like to like stay in those boxes and then like play out that same scenario. Oh, but because I have anxiety or but because I'm, I, I, I am this, it's like, no, you are experiencing something because your body is trying to get you to come home. That's mm-hmm. all. That's all it's doing. It's literally mm-hmm. just trying to get you to come home, which can be acute in my mm-hmm. opinion. And mm-hmm. I would love to hear your take because there are obviously cases that are like schizophrenia, for example. Like, I don't know that that is something I would say that for, but I do tend to think that overall for some reason. Yeah. Well, and then that's probably why when you heard me you go, oh, DSM, huh? There's a time and a place. And I'm so glad like that experience of just feeling normal. <laughs> that it's, it's, it's so common. I felt, it's normal. I felt normal, but then I felt not normal. I was like, oh, mm. like, I'm normal. And that, that there is something that's written about it. Like, wow, that's crazy that like it's written and it has a, a word and a name. And on the other side, shit, I am someone that has this problem. Uh, and uh-huh. I was stuck in the, in those two things. And that's like mm-hmm. what my brain can conceptualize at the time, which is why I, I really am very, and I, I want to be louder about it. I do not believe that you are that thing that is happening at a certain time. The thing that you think is like a really dark, scary thing, in my opinion, all it's trying to do is help you come home to yourself. That's mm-hmm. it. Uh, it mm-hmm. And it does not need to be with you forever. And in my experience, it has not been with me forever. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious from your like professional lens where you sit on that. It's hard because like the mental health field is still a relatively very new field. Like we're still doing so much research. I think within the next few decades, even it's going to completely shift a lot more from this. Like, I hope it's going to shift more into like somatic work, looking at our bodies, brain science, like really looking at the brain more versus some of the, like the way that it's grown so far is a lot of like pathology and a lot of, you know, I had that's, that could be a whole other episode, but I'll just say that. Like, I think it's shifting in terms of how much we understand mental health issues, but like, there are certain things like bipolar, schizophrenia, things like that, where I'm not enough of an expert in the, like the brain science of those. And um, I've worked with the, all of, all of the above, but like, in terms of like, okay, what's really happening there? Is that something that you, that shouldn't be like, treated in the lens of, I guess, like Western medicine that we look at it with like the psychotropic medications and things like that, that we use for that. I'm not sure because honestly, there's some really interesting research happening too, where people are looking at those types of disorders from a different, like less pathologizing lens and doing more like trauma work essentially with it. And and symptoms are sort of reducing even of things like schizophrenia and things like that. Like I definitely can't speak to those studies with any sort of like authority, but it's interesting work that's happening. Really Um, interesting. Yeah. Cause like one of the things, just tiny tangent I like to do with clients is called parts work, which is basically where we look at all of our different parts. And it could be that we have this like part of us that like is almost like a voice in our head that is completely different from like the part of us that we identify with. And that part's just like coming out at certain moments in our lives and stuff. So we can work to integrate those parts. I don't want to say that that's like always what schizophrenia is showing up as, but like there's some interesting literature on schizophrenia is often associated with trauma and like fragmentation of ourselves. Is it like just really like super trauma-based or is it something else? That's sort of a side note. But in terms of your question about like for anxiety, for example, I often don't really talk to my clients about what their diagnosis is. And I have even, I know colleagues that just say like, you feel, you feel a way about a thing. And we're working on that. Like, we don't need to say like, you have you meet criteria for like excessive worry three, three times per day or whatever, like trying to just say like, you are a human being who your body is telling you something. This is information. Something is trying to heal. Something is trying to get worked out in your psyche. And like, 
that can be enough. We don't need to say like you have, you know, major depressive disorder recurring or single episode or, you know, whatever. Like we can just kind of work with you as a person and we'll just leave the labels out of the room. I have the luxury of doing that because I work in private practice and I work for myself. Insurance companies, if you want to get reimbursed for your therapy, like you must have a diagnosis. And I think that's part of why these diagnoses and labels are perpetuated is because that's how our insurance system works. That's how a lot of therapy still kind of, that's a framework it's still in. But I think that we're seeing a shift more away from like labeling, pathologizing into you, like, you feel a way about a thing. Let's just like work on that human to human. Kind I, of. I am so happy to hear that. Like truly, because our minds are so powerful. And when something gets in there, I mean, we already have to do all that work to unlearn so much shit that happened already <laughs> intergenerationally mm-hmm. when you were younger, all that stuff to then add on the layer of having to unlearn a label that like has put you in a box mm-hmm. is just like, in my opinion, doing more harm than good. Mm-hmm. So I love to hear that it's going in that direction. And I love to hear that that's how you practice that it's mm-hmm. you're a whole human who has experienced some, some stuff that you're just going through and we're going through it. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's what it, mm-hmm. that, that is what therapy is. Yeah, totally. Because if we get too identified with like, I'm anxious, and then we try to take that part of our identity away in therapy, then then there's a whole bottom that falls out where it's like, but who am I? If I'm not anxious, then like, that's an identity that I've carried for so long. Like, I don't know who I am. That can be really destabilizing for people too. Mm -hmm. So that's another kind of reason to, to not like over identify with that label or to like try to push labels too much on people because then they get it's hard for them to let it go because it gets internalized as part of their identity. Totally. I mean, I still work on that with anxiety and being like, or having like moments of that. Like, I feel like it is a part of my story and like, I am so grateful for that part of my story, but it is something that like, I still, that's, I think why I'm loud about it is because I actively work on unlearning that. At the same time, I also do know that there is life without those symptoms. So why the hell would I continue to have life with putting myself in a box and category that doesn't align anymore with my reality? So what is, and I I don't really do much, like I don't call it shadow work, but I do obviously Uh do shadow work in therapy. It's just like, we don't call it that in my sessions, but what is your shadow and how does it play out in therapy? It was really coined by Carl Jung, who is one of like the OGs of psychotherapy. He, he coined this term in 1945. And basically the shadow, he worked a lot with the unconscious and the parts of us that are not, are like our deep, deep, deep blind spots. So shadow he defines as basically a compilation of all of the parts of ourselves that we deem as undesirable and that we hide out of shame. So if you think about all of the programming that we get as kids around like the reinforcement of things that our parents other people in the community that we interact with deem as acceptable and good. We get those reinforced, but then we get the negative reinforcement of like, don't cry, be quiet. You're too blah, blah, blah. You're too, you're not enough. Da, da, da. Like all of those things that becomes our shadow, like all of the things that we feel shame around. And so we just kind of put those in the dark and we don't even, often we don't even know that like they're there until we start to do some of the work, like shadow work that I do with my clients, or there's, you know, a bunch of different ways to do it. It's basically uncovering parts of ourselves that we feel shame around. Man, what is something that you would want to tell someone listening who is curious, who has been like Mm -hmm. thinking about it, maybe researching like some therapists, like 
just someone who has had it in the back of their mind and they're curious, what would you tell them as they're listening? So I think really thinking about what are the qualities that I want to have in somebody that I'm going to like kind of bare my soul to? Like what, how do I want them to be? And even writing those down, starting with like the human qualities that you would look for in a therapist. And then you can do a little bit of research on like using those resources of like podcasts, Instagram, good old Google, like what are the top evidence-based theories around anxiety or around depression or burnout and having that sort of in mind as you then start to look for a therapist. And psychology today is one good resource for like there's therapists listed all over the country. I find that like the best therapy fits often come through referrals though. So if you can find like a couple trusted people that are in therapy, if it's like your brother and you don't want to see the same therapist, ask him to ask his therapist, Hey, like who are three colleagues that you would like go to bat for? And you would really recommend every therapist, myself included has a a network of other therapists that they refer to. So you can be sure, like if someone you trust is going to someone that they like, and that person has three people that they like, that's a really good way, I think, to find a good fit. I love that. And now that you're saying that, I'm remembering that I have a friend who is an editor or she was an editor in New York that she actually compiled all of like her friend's therapists into one Mm. document. And I think she has my therapist in there too. And I'm going to see if I, if she can send me that link and I'll put it in the show notes and see if that's helpful. Cause that was like all like friend of a friend recommendation. But I think that that's very true. Like if you're lucky enough to have someone in your life that is open about it and can like just ask questions, Mm -hmm. even if that therapist isn't a fit, they can point you in the direction of someone who is. So what would you say to someone who's like tried and like it didn't work out and then they like stopped trying? They were like, yeah, it just didn't feel, it didn't feel like it. Like, and then I just stopped. P.S. That's me. Like I've been, I'm in therapy on and off throughout my life. I've been to therapists where I'm like, eh, my first experience was not good. And that was before I was even thinking about becoming a therapist. And I just sort of like peaced out. Like I had three sessions and I think I was just like, I probably ghosted her to be honest because I was 24. I would say just keep trying, but listen to yourself. Get clear on like what you're looking for from it and what type of connection you're looking for with somebody else. Like, what do you feel like your soul like really is craving? And like, why are you even coming to therapy? Because I think if we don't have like a really clear why, like if we're just feeling like, well, it's like something that I feel like I should do. It's harder to stick with it because I do think that sometimes it's not a good fit. And then other times I think it's like, we're afraid, like we are projecting something onto the therapist that's not actually theirs. It's our, our stuff. When we try to back out or back away, like I would get really clear on also like, okay, what's really happening here? Like, is it really not a good fit or am I afraid? Am I projecting something onto them? Did they say one thing that triggered me and I can't deal with it instead of like talking to them about it? I'm going to back away. Just getting clear on the whys. Why am I going? And then if you're starting to pull away, like, why am I starting to pull away? And could it be that it's something that like is within me that I need to work through versus like this person just isn't a good fit? Love that. What would you say to someone who's like, well, I don't want to tell my therapist like the truth of this because like they're going to judge me. Oh my gosh. That's such a good question because I have clients all the time that come to me and just they're like terrified to tell me something, especially newer people. By the time you've worked with me for a little while, you know that like I really like I don't have a bone in my body. (laughs) Yeah. That's part of the healing. I'm sorry to say I can't vouch for every therapist and say that like all therapists are non-judgmental. Like that is the gold standard. And that is like, I am not even the gold standard. That is the standard. The basic standard for a good therapist is non-judgmental. 
And I can't vouch for every person who gets into this field, right? But I will say like, when you find your person, when you find your therapist, we're not judging. Like you could tell me anything. I've heard it. Like I've heard it before. Like you said, there's no, no such thing as a new thought. Like it's all, I've heard it. There's no such thing as a new thought is so liberating. It's Mm -hmm. like, do you think that you're unique in thinking that you're not? Like if -hmm. you think, if you think that you're unique in having done anything or been a certain way or acted a certain way or whatever, and you're so ashamed by it, let me tell you something. I've probably done it. Charlotte's probably done it. We are all human beings living a human experience. And like anything that is in the darkness is something that is probably in the darkness for all of us. So mm-hmm. it's fine. Like we're yeah. good at our core. That's like really just the thing that like I come in and out of being like so assured of. And I think that like when you're in those moments is when you actually feel peace is mm-hmm. knowing that at your core, you are good. And mm-hmm. I can't say that I feel that all the time. But in doing this work, I feel that more and more. And like the time that I spend in that zone gets longer and longer. And for me, that's why I continue to do the work. Because if I'm experiencing more and more of what it feels like to genuinely feel like at the bottom of it all, I am good. I'm taken Mm -hmm. care of. I can trust myself. I can move in a way that like, I know it's all for me. Mm -hmm. Where can this go? Like if this is what I feel now, like imagine a few years from now or 10 years from now, 15, whatever, that's my commitment to it. And it's like, again, not something that I feel every single day or even like weeks at a time sometimes, but it just happens more and more. Like the time that you spend in that zone is longer, I guess. Totally. And that's your brain, right? That's your brain laying down that pathway of I'm good. That's the thought that replaces maybe in the past, whatever it was, like, I'm, I'm not, not okay. Safe. I'm not okay. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. So that's your, your, the work is working for you. The work and, works. Yeah. The work mm-hmm. works. It's worth it. And something else that I also, and I know that I can, I feel like we can talk for 5 million years because this is like really one of my favorite topics that I'm clearly very mm-hmm. passionate about. But for someone who's listening that they're like, yeah, but like this, this work, like, I feel like it, I'm at the point right now where I don't know what's harder, like starting the work or, or just like letting it be. And in my opinion, I feel like nothing is harder than living a life where you are literally acting and living out of fear. So it may seem like the hard thing to do, but to me, it's the easier thing to do. Because if you really just live your entire life in that zone, to me, that's like wearing 10 backpacks when you can be wearing none. A thousand percent. And I think what makes that the journey of that, of like taking off those backpacks for some of us is a lot, is a long journey. And we've had so many, the backpacks are so full, they're bursting and they've been bursting for like years and years and years. And this is where like therapy is so helpful is like my client might come in and say like, I can't, like I have like 18, 50 liter backpacks on and like, I just cannot. And it's not possible for me to let go of any of these because this is how I live. And the therapist can be the holder of hope. In that case, like, let me believe that there is a future in which you have one backpack instead of 18. Can I be that person for you just to carry the torch and hold the hope for you, even if you can't hold it for yourself? And that's often, I think, the first step that we take and why it's so helpful to have a therapist that has your back and really supports you is I can be the holder of hope. And then that's easier for my clients sometimes than to have them make this big shift where it's like, I can let it all go and I can have this beautiful, fulfilled life. Like, okay, no, Charlotte believes that. And eventually the goal is that they start to feel that too. 
But sometimes the first step is just, okay, this other person, for whatever reason, Charlotte thinks that I can live a happy life, whatever. I don't really believe it, but I'm going to keep coming back because she seems to think it's possible for me. And eventually like the locus of control comes back home to the client. But sometimes it just starts with the therapist holding that hope. Do you believe that this can happen to anyone at any, like the, the unlearning process and the coming home to yourself can happen at any age? Or is there a certain age where that like programming is so tight wound that like you, it's really difficult to unlearn it? Or do you believe that it can happen at any age? I think it can happen at any age. I think a lot of it, some of us have more what we would call like tightly wound nervous systems. That's those of us who have had usually more trauma throughout our lives. Our body is a little bit more wound around those beliefs around those symptoms. But I've had clients who have come to me in their 60s who have been carrying something like really shameful for decades and have made their whole identity around like, I'm bad. A lot of times this happens with like abuse early in childhood. And they come to me in their 60s. And with the backpack, through working together, it comes off. And it's like, you can see it. It's so cool to see somebody, their face changes, their body changes, like they're sitting up straight. It's like, you can literally see that the backpack has been taken off and they're 68. And then they have this whole, you know, next chapter of their lives. So I do believe healing can happen at any age. Like the earlier, the better, obviously, because it's, you know, then we have more years to live like the new version of us, but it's not, if you feel like you're quote unquote too old, you're not. I love to hear that. And I I mean, I believe that with every ounce of my being too. And it's just really like the consistency. And I like what you said about like that in the beginning when they're like kind of resistant and it's like, or anyone that does it at any age, that's like resistant to it. And it's like, you're holding it for them for some time. And then mm-hmm. they start holding it for them. And it's also like, give yourself like an honest shot at it, like mm-hmm. three to six months and see if mm-hmm. if any rocks at all have been alleviated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What role has yoga played because we did meet in yoga and it has uh-huh. been literally, that was actually the catalyst for me. I started doing yoga when that whole thing happened. What role does yoga play in your practice, like in how your kind of growth journey has gone and what you've seen with people that you've worked with too? Yeah. So yoga, it's been such an interesting year because every year I like to say, sit down and think about like, okay, what's my, what are my, I pick three words every year that I'm going to focus on. And the words for 2022 for me were joy, community, and thriving. Before 2022, I had just been like a yoga student. In 2022, it started with going to like a yoga retreat. And I felt so joyful. There was all these people I was so connected to. So community was there. And then I just felt like I was thriving. Like my body felt great. So then right after they had the teacher training and I signed up for it, I got trained. I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I'll teach. Like I have a pretty busy schedule. Somehow I end up with like two classes a week. And I I just, it's been such a beautiful journey. So that's been like this year's journey. But even pre this yoga to me has always been just that place where, you know, you that feeling when you walk into the studio and it's like, you can just like take a deep breath. You can just let it all go. You can leave it outside the door, as we say, as yoga teachers, and you can just tune into your body. And it's that blend, I think of like mindfulness, physical activity. I'm a very like physical person. So the mindfulness aspect, the physical aspect. And then what I love about yoga is all the philosophy, just non-attachment, acceptance, surrender, just holding things lightly, surrender. Exactly. So to me, like yoga, I've been doing it since I was a teenager because my mom kind of introduced me to it. It's always been I'm not a really religious person, but I am a spiritual person in terms of I'm just really drawn to especially Buddhism and Hinduism. And so it's been almost like a spiritual practice for me that's really been 
a blending of all of the things that has been a safe place for me to go and just be in my body and practice all those, those components. Cause I'm not actually like an amazing yogi. Like that's, what's always like, you're a great interesting teacher. To me. I cried in your Shavasana. So oh, thanks. <laughs> and I think to be a good teacher, you don't have to be like, I honestly still can't do a handstand. It's like, I just can't, like, matter. I haven't really like given it a lot of effort, Yeah, but it's about like, just that all of those things I said, like the community aspect, the spiritual aspect and the physical and mindfulness aspects. I think it goes so well with therapy because of the body wisdom that you were talking about. Like Mm. when you are feeling anxious and you're like able to have that window of breathing into the jaw or the bot, like whatever body part it is that you're holding. Yoga to me is like a live action, like dedicated time where you're actually practicing that muscle of, okay, I'm in pigeon pose. I'm actually sending breath to my hip Mm -hmm. or I'm holding this, this pose for three rounds of breath and like I'm holding it and this is what it feels like to hold a difficult position with breath. Mm -hmm. It's a continued practice where your system is starting to understand like, oh, like when my body's contracted, I can use my breath and it's safe in here because it's yoga and this is what Mm -hmm. it is. And then when you're live in life and something is a really difficult, what, what I would call a pose of life, it could be like someone triggers you or whatever. And you can utilize that tool and breathe through it and know that like, three, five rounds of breath and you're out of that pose. To me, those two things go so well together. Like they just drive. 100%. Yeah. It's like doing spiritual workout. Like, okay, like I know how to breathe now in this pose and now I'm going to take it into real life. A thousand percent. I think that like is such a important, that's and probably because I've been doing it for so long, I don't even notice that that's just like part of who I am now. It's like been integrated so deeply of even, even things like sitting in traffic, standing in line, like, I can do this. I can do this all day because I know Same. that like I'm surrendering <laughs> and it's, it's temporary. And I, can and that's where I know it's okay. Yeah. Sometimes I do ask myself, I'm like, man, I really do all this work. Like I do therapy. I've worked with a business coach. Like, da, 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 da. And then there's moments where I'm like, no, no, this works. Like I've had my flights completely canceled. I'm sitting on that plane for mm-hmm. five hours and I, I'm like, oh my God, I would have reacted so differently. I would have had the mm-hmm. worst time five years ago. And I'm having the time of my life. It's, it's like, obviously it's not what you would choose, but you're like, whatever, man. Like I have mm-hmm. more time to listen to a podcast or download the ones that I wanted to actually listen to while the plane was out, uh, up in the air. And you just, it's different. It's a different mm-hmm. way of, of being. And it's just, in my opinion, so much better. Yeah, totally. Okay. Is there anything else that you would want to share with our listeners to close out? The listener is a seeker. Like these, mm-hmm. my listeners are the shit and they, there's inklings. They're probably on the journey, on the path on some level and something's calling them to a bigger expression in life. Some of them may already kind of know what it is. Some of them may not. What would you tell someone who is just seeking? I think the big thing that I would say is look at what the next step is. So whatever that is, for me, if I had, when was this, like 10 years ago, before I started my whole journey to become a therapist, if I was sitting in that corporate building in New York City saying, I kind of want to be a therapist, but like, it's so much school, it's so much money, I have to, I moved across the country to do it. Like, it's just, it's too much. And who, what do I know? I only took, I took one psychology course in undergrad, like, I'm not qualified, I'm going to be horrible, then I would have never started, right? Instead, I just said, okay, let me like, what's the next thing I have to do? And then what's the next thing after that? And then what's the next thing after that? So I would say it's, if you're seeking, stay curious. That's such a huge 
gift that you have to be curious, to be the seeker. And then don't get too caught up in like what it has to look like ever, (laughs) not just like 10 years from now, but even in two months, like we don't know where this journey is taking us. So can you just look at like what's right in front of you? Can you take one little step today that's moving you a little bit closer to what you think your vision might be? And can you also give yourself permission to pivot and shift and to be messy and to be a human and to fail? So that would be the big thing I would say is like one step at a time and give yourself permission to be messy, be human, be real. Love it. Thank you so much. I hope that you come back. I want to do another episode with you on attachment styles for Mm -hmm. sure, but I also need to learn a little bit more about that. Thank you. This was so much fun. And thank you for inviting me on. I love talking about all this with you. Are you kidding me? I feel like when you just feel that connection, you just like, you just do. You just have to like figure it out. Where can people find you? And are you taking clients on right now? Yeah. So people can find me. um, My website is just my first name, last name.com, charlottehay.com. Or I'm on Instagram at therapy with Charlotte. Those are the two places easiest to reach me. And I am right now I am taking, I have a couple spots for clients that ebbs and flows. So if anybody's interested, I'm licensed, I should say in California. So if you're anywhere in the state of California, I do telehealth. If you're in LA, I have an office in Larchmont Village in LA, which is a super cute little area of LA um, where we can do in person. So reach out to me and we can chat. I love it. Thank you so much for getting to the end of the episode. And more importantly, thank yourself for choosing to learn more about how to come home to yourself. As always, take what resonates with you and simply let go of what doesn't. I would really appreciate it if you can give the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen, because that's the way that the show will continue to grow. And we are all about growth here. I'm sending you so much love and I will see you next week.